I'm black, you're white. Now what? What if I say the wrong thing? You probably will. Who doesn't? But I'll do my best to listen. Maybe if we're humble enough to listen to each other. Maybe if we're brave enough to lean into those difficult conversations. We might. We could. Come up with some answers. Make some real progress. Discover how much we have in common. And appreciate our differences. Now you're talking. I'm David Conley, communications consultant. And I'm Chris Thurber, clinical psychologist. And welcome to another episode of I'm Black, You're White, Now What? Here we are. Um, yeah, here we are. Here we are. Uh, just right quick, uh, as we always do, last uh, episode, we got a chance to really kind of unpack that uh, hashtag defund the police uh, topic with uh, Detective John Leggett and uh, and social justice engineer uh, Montega Simmons. I thought that was a fantastic episode. Um, it was. And both those guys were very, very knowledgeable about um, their side of that issue. And uh, it was good. It was a, a, like a passionate discussion, but still everybody left, uh, you know, friends and respectful. And so I thought that that was, you know, that was a really good episode and a lot of good information uh, in that. So, yeah, I I was impressed as you were with how respectful the conversation was and mm-hmm the four of us listening to one another. I also was again, um, I guess a bit saddened that the hashtag defund the police has been so widely misunderstood. You know, I think Mm -hmm. all four of us agree that if it were a Madison Avenue, you know, marketing firm or something, they, they would not have come up with that because it misses, Mm -hmm. uh, the core message, which Montega explained to us, in its prior iteration was invest, divest and Mm -hmm. talking about uh, not, you know, cutting the financial legs, you know, off of the, you know, police departments at their knees, but instead looking carefully at whether additional funding of policing is the solution to social problems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think anyone who looks at the data and we did post a couple of links in the in the YouTube post to places where people can look at these data, make it clear that, you know, just more police and more of that force in the, you know, in the equation isn't going to take care of poverty isn't going to take Mm -hmm. care of the, you know, paucity of affordable housing isn't going to take care of unemployment, uh, isn't going to take care of the lack of educational opportunities, Mm -hmm. which, you know, are among the factors that collude to perpetuate some of these social problems. And uh, that clearly needs to be those problems need to be solved if we're going to look at a long-term mm-hmm. solution and some of the solution requires money and where is the money going to come from um and i also understand <clears throat> john's position of well yes and don't take it from us right now we're doing everything we can and we're pretty strung out as it is um so and i think part so, of that was uh what that was that was brought up was really good too is that uh, a lot of the notion is that uh it will happen like this week you right know? right um, right and instead of uh what montega brought out uh just the fact that we're talking about something that would be uh a more gradual and 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 growing you know process to mm-hmm create more opportunities and a better situation for communities mm-hmm. where everybody is not so desperate, where a lot of the calls and things that police are required to respond to. Um, and, and, you know, like we always say, most of these police officers are responding and uh, having the commitment to protect and serve with uh, an unmatched, you know, bravery and sense of commitment. Yeah. But it can just be overwhelming so you're talking more about taking a burden off of police officers mm-hmm. than you are about taking police away from emergency situations where you can't call 911 and that's just been uh that message has just been uh, so 
you know, misinterpreted in political ads and things like yeah. that. And it's just really sad. And it's been more about fear mongering than it's really been about understanding. So I think that yeah. it'd be a good idea for people to go and watch uh, that episode and really get some understanding. Uh, understanding is one of the things that, that brings us to uh, this particular episode. It's it's what we envisioned uh, when we, you know, decided to do this show. Uh, you and I, and um, I just think that it's a good thing to keep talking about and reiterating because right now everybody just seems to be yelling at everybody, mm. and there's there's not very uh, much understanding uh, going on and being sought. And so, uh, I, you know, we kind of talked earlier offline, and just I think this would be a good episode to just kind of talk about what it's like to be misunderstood and how to. Uh, perhaps gain some more uh, understanding. Everybody's kind of emotional right now, and uh, and it it makes things right for for communication breakdowns. Mm-hmm. Would you Would you agree? I would agree, and I think without uh, without a racial overlay, I have taught for years, and you have taught for years, different techniques of de-escalation and conflict resolution and you know at the center of most of what mm-hmm. i teach around conflict resolution and a lot of the techniques and ideas are not ones that i developed but i i love them because they work mm-hmm. they focus on listening and really working hard to understand the other person's perspective and mm-hmm. you've heard me say many people who have been in training workshops with me have heard me say that empathy is not agreement and Mm -hmm. you're fighting to understand, not fighting to win. Mm -hmm. When, you know, when we see differences as potentially or conflicts as potentially having win-win outcomes, uh, I think people feel very motivated to Mm -hmm. listen and to, um, maybe also to compromise, but I've, I've seen it work so many times that everybody can get what they want within reason if they understand what it is that other people want, you know, so it mm-hmm. doesn't feel territorial or that somehow there's a limited supply of X. Um, and, you know, it's one of the reasons I love talking to Montega is his mm-hmm. his whole philosophy seems to be, what if we just changed the way we thought about this? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and instead of uh, just perseverating on a message that you hope will somehow sink in to the other person, and therefore you win, they lose, and you get it your way, um, to really listen and. Um, yeah, if we if we can do that, I just think it would be fantastic. And and again, if people watch again our sort of opener uh, for all of these episodes, um, the the fear is that somebody will say something wrong. I mean, the fear not in conflict resolution, but now if we put back the layer of uh, social justice. Mm-hmm. or racism over this, uh-oh, now it feels like a minefield to a lot of white people, at least, mm-hmm. that they might say something that will just fan the flames or be misunderstood. And, you know, there is a tiny minority of white people in this country and in other countries as well who are proud to be anti-something, anti-black, anti-Jewish, um, you know, and that's, I don't know how to reach those people, but the fear I'm talking about of, you know, those people might be happy to be um, uh, labeled as racist, but um, most white people I know that's like one of their biggest social fears is that in a discussion like this, um, they would make a misstep, not 
oh, let me explain what I mean. But they would make a misstep that would just light the room on fire and mm-hmm. and cause people to think that they are racist. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's because it's it's a powder keg. I mean, it's so it's so emotionally charged because a lot of that voice, the voice of, uh, you know, black people and, and other races, you know, uh, people of color has been, you know, suffocated for so long that now that it's, you know, finally coming out to this degree. Um, and it's been growing, you know, over generations, but, uh, to, to this degree, it's it's coming out with a lot of emotional fervor. So it's 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 a powder keg, you know, um, where, like you said, a misstep like that can send the room into flashover if you're mm-hmm. in a room uh, where you're talking uh, to or trying to communicate with um, with a lot of people about race, especially when they've been on the the you know bad end of, of that, you know, that situation or whatever. Do you find it, you find it difficult then, um, to, to show your ability to empathize to any degree? I mean, sometimes, um, I think that, I think the first hurdle that I had to cross, and maybe I'm being presumptuous by saying that I have stepped over this hurdle, but at least it was a, an important realization for me as a white person, um, was that I didn't, I, I didn't need to have this, um, knee jerk reaction that a lot of Mm -hmm. white people have that like, wait a second, wait a second. I like, I don't use the N word. I don't, Mm -hmm. you know, I got, I have some black friends, uh, I'm not part of this problem. And so not only is that partially false, but more problematic is that people then say, therefore, Mm -hmm. I don't have to be part of the solution. Y'all deal with your, you know, Mm -hmm. your riots and your, you know, protests and everything, because I'm not one of those racist white people. Um, And so realize like this, hurdle has two parts to step over for most white people. Part number one is, you know, so good on you that you, you know, don't use racial epithets and good on you that you Mm -hmm. have a diverse friend group. Um, But you probably participate in either uh, institutions or which could even be the place that employs you. Uh, Mm -hmm. You participate in um, organizations or conversations or just uh, systems that Mm -hmm. do not treat races fairly. Mm -hmm. And that's like, okay, wait a second. Now, you know, now I'm expanding my view of, or my definition of racism to include some of these uh, silent but deadly undercurrents uh, that really pervade this country and others. Um, and and then the second part of the hurdle, which I, I think is much easier when you've wrapped your mind around that first piece, is you have to be part of the... Like, I, I feel like... I can't not be part of a solution if I consider myself a, a citizen of this country. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't really think that like our friendship is particularly meaningful past a certain point if I am not actively participating in mm-hmm. anti-black racist, anti-black racism kinds of activities like this podcast, because Otherwise, I'm just kind of a, I don't know, you know, we're acquaintances, but we're not really friends because, Mm. you know, I've always considered you a friend and I would come to my friend's defense if they were being, you know, mugged on the street or something. And that's Mm. not what's happening here. It's 
much worse. Um, but, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, how can I not participate in that? Uh, yeah. So I don't even remember what your question was. Oh, yeah, it was. It but was no, I was like, just saying, like, in, in having that feeling, um, I just would imagine that that it can sometimes be difficult, like where you might have the desire to help your friend or whatever, or to show that you are inclined to help. Right. And then you make a statement and then the friend says, Hey, you're the enemy. <laughs> right. You know? Right. You right. Say, well, no, you're reminding mm-hmm. me of the episode that we did with um, Andy Bigelow and Brian Lighty, mm-hmm. right? So this mm-hmm. couple where, so Andy's white, Brian is black. And one of our questions for Andy was, do you ever feel, you know, at a, I don't know, a party or something, if someone is maligning Brian, like, do you ever feel like you need to come to his defense? And they both laughed because, of course, Andy sometimes does. But as he pointed out, you know, Brian's good at handling these situations. Um, It is difficult, of course, like um, to and I have been misunderstood in my efforts. Here's the interesting thing. Having understood that I am part of systems that do not treat races equitably, and therefore I have a moral obligation and an interpersonal obligation to my friends to dismantle the parts, to participate in dismantling the parts of those systems that are uh, racist mm-hmm. by legacy or, you know, much more rarely by intention. But, um, and I should say, I don't think I'm part of anything that is intentionally racist, but. Mm -hmm. those organizations certainly are out there. But look, what happens when you, uh, what has happened to me as a white person who has had these realizations and is working on this stuff, it's like coming out of the forest into the field. And now I'm in the field Mm -hmm. and, oh, I feel like, so I can just like run around in this field. Like, this is great. Mm -hmm. I was uninformed, unenlightened, but now, now, you know, now I have liberty to, you know, just like, but I don't have, nobody has liberty to just like say what's on their mind without reading the room or paying attention mm-hmm. to the, you know, the timing or the audience or the context or whatever, like, uh, you know, racist or not, uh, any comment could be uh, misunderstood, can hurt people's feelings. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know that there's any escaping that, but I owe it to my colleagues who have encouraged me when I have made missteps and also to you when I have made missteps and they've said like, okay, so here's the deal. And, you know, like, here's the feedback. And we also know you. So we, we understand that you're a kind hearted person and intent does not always equal impact. And, but, um, here's the feedback. And that's been so, so valuable. Um, you know, the hard part is when somebody doesn't know me and I think mm-hmm. now they've really like misunderstood my character, but, um, I feel right now caught in this tension between the, the, the rallying cry to lean into the discomfort and, uh, the discomfort that I have felt like, Oh no, that's so, worth leaning into but you Mm -hmm. and my colleagues have all said like you know chris don't retreat otherwise you know if you if you crawl back into your shell um there's a lot less that's gonna get done Uh, absolutely so the other thing though is that uh, is uh just the level of trust that you have with people and that that's what i when i say read the room too sometimes I, i think about that um I have to consider the level of trust I have with the quote unquote audience yeah. uh, whoever I'm speaking with. If I'm talking to you, you and I have known each other for years. So certain things that even if I say something that sounds, you know, like that yeah. to you, the reason it sounds like that is because you know, that's not consistent with what you know about me and my character. So that would, in a lot of cases, probably even prompt you to say, hey, uh, Dave, you know, 
you said this and I didn't understand that because, you know, and then I can say, oh, no, no, what I meant is this. Or you would already know, and this, <laughs> there's a lot of people who know me very well who know that uh, some of my humor can be, you know, a little biting. So they would take that and say, well, he's kidding because it's, you know, it's yeah. Dave. But there are people who don't know me that when I'm in those situations, I have to either preface it by saying this is an uh, over-exaggeration or this is a this, you know, or whatever. Uh, or I have to not make uh, certain comments yeah. because the people don't know me as well uh, yet. So, again, it's about reading the room and, and seeing who has uh, or, or what the degree, I should say, of trust is yeah. with me in that particular situation, you know. Um, especially in a thing where emotions are high and where you're talking about something as, uh, as sensitive as race relations and things like, and, and, and I'll be honest with you, um, that exists even black people to black people. Mm. You know, there are certain, there are certain situations where, um, you can be in as a black person and you can make some comments that get misunderstood based on the experiences of the people in that group and in that room or whatever, and can, can cost you, you know, um, hmm, yeah. some of those friendships and some of those. So it's not just a thing that where you have to cross a racial line in order to experience it yeah, to any yeah. degree, but I think it's just uh, sort of a human thing. But I do think that, um, that the misunderstandings come when you misjudge the level of, of trust that you may have, you know, in, in that particular room or in that particular group. Yeah. 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 No, it's so true. And I, I think that, um, you know, in speaking to a large group where not everyone knows me maybe at all, and some people know mm -hmm. me very well, um, you know, I have misread the room and, uh, attributed a lot more trust mm -hmm. to my sort of core being than, mm -hmm. than was appropriate. And saying something like, um, you know, my professional commitment in working with students, for example, of the same race, of different races, mm -hmm. is always empathy. Um, at least that's chief among my professional commitments. And at some level um, that is quite fundamental, I can't fully empathize with, let's say, a black student who is talking to me about being called the N-word when they are walking to the corner store. And I, I, I can listen to how awful that must feel and the way in which that makes them feel unsafe and resentful and all the rest. Um, and the, you know, the closest I can come to something like that is not even in the same ballpark. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, if I say, you know, wearing bow ties is something that a few people have, judged me for, you know, that's like ridiculous. Um, because mm -hmm. you can take off a bow tie, you can't take off your skin color. Um, and you know, that, that is, it is trivial. Um, it, it starts to feel non-trivial when the person says, well, you know, I see you wear bow ties, you know, you're obviously a Republican, um, I bet you're hoping that, you know, Trump wins again. I mean, that's, that's as, that's as close as I can get to feeling just a fraction of what it might feel mm -hmm. like to be a black person on the receiving end of a racist comment. I happen to feel that Trump has done so much damage to this country, especially socially, and especially with regard to race relations, that for someone to connect these dots that don't exist from 
I wear bow ties to I'm politically conservative to I'm a Republican to I'm a Republican who voted for Trump. It's like, wow, wait a second. You just went over to deep end there. And I can share that this is something that goes through my mind when I'm making an effort to provide some genuine empathy. But if somebody mishears my narrative as, you know, damn it, Thurber, stop, you know, equating your experience with mm -hmm. a black person's experience or, you know, damn it, Thurber, don't take the focus of the conversation away from anti-black racism, because that's what we're talking about. I understand their their frustration. I understand that I've hurt their feelings. I understand, obviously not my intention, but I do understand that, uh, you know, it's either because they don't know me or because they were expecting something else or because, um, you know, it's just not the the time to be talking about my personal experience as a white person, I should have just stopped at, yes, I work to try to empathize. And there's part of it that I will never be able to understand because I'm white, not black. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I know that I can tell you a story like that so that you understand not just the, you know, level one things that are going through my mind, but also kind of mm -hmm. level two and three um, because uh you know, like if we're going to be closer friends or we're going to help each other, then, you know, you should be privy to some of the other things that are going through my head, which are not racist. Um, but the perception that I th that just my sharing of a personal experience, even if it's prefaced with the caveat that I'm not trying to make a comparison, um, just can be. Um, off-putting totally because absolutely uh, you know we're not talking about white people's plight here um, and I don't you know I can brush off a comment like that pretty easily so I it seems like de deflecting and I think that's what you know where people would have a, a problem it's like it seems like you um, like you're deflecting from yeah from whatever their issue and what they're going through right let me ask you this though as a um, as a clinical psychologist, and I'm saying this because I, I don't know, so this is a question, you know, but if a person is, like like I would imagine, okay, you don't know what it's like to day in, day out be a black man, but I would imagine that that's on a list of things that you have never been uh, in your life because like being a white man is only one part of the whole lot of different types of people that there are in the world. Um, so I'm, I'm saying that to say, but there are certain things that you can relate to mm -hmm. or that you can academically understand. And is there a situation or a space where the focus is that? So in other words, if I tell you, uh, that when the police roll up behind me and I'm just driving mine and the speed limit and everything, everything is legal and in order in my vehicle, but I still have a unnerving feeling, um, which existed before uh, Mike Brown, you know, let alone right. George yeah. Floyd, um, that maybe you don't understand why in the way that that I understand it like down you know mm. in my history um but you do understand fear right do you know what i mean you do understand um like the hairs on the back of your neck standing up you do understand threatening situations you know or the yeah. or that a person would have that and feel that and and part of it would be exploring that in a way to understand uh and to and to maybe encourage some deeper understanding from the person you're talking to am i saying that right is that yeah some of what you what you what you're doing or dealing with in session or 
Yeah, I mean, and I mean, I think three things. One is, right, I, I have experienced in my life uh, fear in different circumstances, rage, chronic stress. Um, and so I, I can reference that um, when I do the second thing, which is then to ask, you know, so David, um, you said you were afraid when uh, this cop rolled up on you what mm. what was going through your mind and mm. you mentioned uh sort of you know you made this gesture like you know almost to say like down deep um or something in your core what were the you know what were the physical symptoms mm. um what words would you use to describe the feeling so mm. i can work hard to understand uh you also referenced you know your history so I want to understand what goes through your mind in terms of your history, personal, family, racial, what the physiological experience was like, what the emotional experience was like, um, which A, helps me get a handle on what it was for you. And B, uh, if there is something else uh, that you've come to see me about, like, this happens and then you have panic attacks and then you, mm -hmm. uh, you know, drink until you're passed out. And like, we're going to talk about the other sequelae or the unhealthy coping strategies. Uh, but I don't have to have had so much to drink that I've passed out to be able to treat that mm -hmm. or understand it. Um, so, you know, part of your question is, is it, you know, is it possible for, I think part of your question is, is it possible for one person to try to understand another person, even if there's something that is, un is not common to their experience? And, and I think the answer is yes, you know, there'll always be limitations. Um, it, you know, but without, and I guess what I'm trying to get to, just so we don't get off track with it, I'm saying, is it possible to do that without you then trying to say, I can relate because of this. Like if I was right, talking yes. to you about alcoholism or whatever, and you had, and you don't have that problem, but you're treating me for it. Right. Is part of your treatment to say, well, I relate to your drinking because I, you know, I have this other issue right. that I do. You yeah. know what I mean? I would think that it's, it's yeah. something that where you you deal with it in a different way, and I'm I'm saying I'm suggesting that maybe uh, that's the same way where you won't end up having that um, you know that misunderstanding right. of hey I, I what I'm going through is exactly what you're going through being black because yeah I think that's the part that people end up saying. No, you don't. And <laughs> yeah. I'm offended that you said that, right, you right. know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, as opposed to understanding that I am going through it. Yeah. Period. Yeah. You know, understanding that, that I'm going through it and what I'm going through is wrong. Somebody told me when uh, I was talking to, uh, a friend of mine having one of the kinds of conversations that you and I have on this show, but it just was not on a show. Uh, but we were having a quest, a conversation around race relations in the country. And we were talking about unarmed black men being killed uh, by some bad police. And his comment to me, uh, he in fact sent me an article about uh, the number of white men who had been killed mm. also by police. So then the question that went through my mind was, is this an article and a response to say that it is okay then to kill black men because we're, we've killed white men too? Mm. Or are you joining me in saying that the killing of any unarmed, innocent black person is wrong because see then <laughs> that's my problem like if you're saying it's wrong if you can agree yeah that it's wrong whether the person is black white or whatever if you can bring up this article that says hey unarmed innocent white men are being killed i feel like we should be outraged about that too 
I feel like something should be done about that too. But if you're saying then, so when you say all lives matter, are you going out to then, are you empathizing to the degree Uh oh, you froze, David. Your all lives matter is a thing that says don't make that noise. You know, Not so much a thing that uh, you you froze there. Um, just when you said yeah. your video froze when you said, "Are you saying all lives matter?" So if you want to just pick up okay. on that sentence, you know, right. when you say all lives matter, are you saying? And then it froze. So when you say all lives matter, are you saying then that I should be dealing with police reform with regard to uh, to anybody being killed? Or are you saying yeah. that all lives matter in a way that says maybe you should let it go? And if you're saying right. it in a way that says maybe you should let it go, what you're doing is underscoring the need for Black Lives Matter. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? Because then you're saying that then they don't that much. But anyway, my point was his effort to, and I'm, I'm saying this is what he was doing, but his effort to empathize um, was, I, I don't know, to me, a thing that was like, you should kind of get over the fact that no, no, yeah. black men are being killed, as opposed to saying, Every time a white person gets killed unarmed by police, I'm outraged as well. And I agree with you because that's why I'm out here protesting that. But you're, you're not. You're telling me it's, right. it's, I should be, you know what I mean? So yeah. I'm saying, I think when you try, when it's, when it seems like a deflection, it seems like you're saying, maybe get over yourself. That's not really that big a deal. And if that's what yeah. you're saying to somebody who is up under the knee, of somebody, of a police officer, or, or or somebody who is being treated a certain way because of their race, and you're not, then yeah. that sort of deflection is very, you know, very offensive. It is, it is mm -hmm. very offensive, um, and yeah, I mean, we'd have to ask your, you know, your friend what was going through his mind, but I think the. You know, to return to your question, um, psychologists reference their personal experiences uh, rarely. Uh, so mm -hmm. self-disclosure has a place in the therapy room, but rarely, um, just mm -hmm. for two reasons. One is, it ain't your session. <laughs> um, you're right. the clinician. As soon as I say, yeah, oh, you know what that reminds me of, David, the time I got pulled over going 90, <laughs> uh, you know, like, Whoa, wait, right, what? Where, right, aren't we talking right. about? So how did that make you feel, Doc? Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. We Let's not forget what the roles are here. I'm providing a service that you're paying for. And um, I, it's not about me. I might reference, like, I wonder if that was a little bit like this in my own head, but mm -hmm. verbal mm -hmm. disclosure of parallel or nearly parallel, you know, or analogous experiences, just it's, it's rare. Um, and I, I also think that, um, you know, what, you said this, but I'll say uh, it slightly differently clinicians and i would say it's the same is true for friends if you're telling me you know chris not not that not chris psychologist but chris friend mm -hmm. i got pulled over it would be really inappropriate for me to say oh damn you know what Th that i got pulled over on tuesday too mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and it's it's just because it a deflects or mm -hmm. you know decenters from the issue at hand um, and great if in my own head, I may be referencing something that helps me understand, but really what I need to be doing is asking open-ended questions to learn more mm -hmm. about your experience. And then, you know, whether, I, you know, as friend, as clinical psychologist, you know, helping to uh, 
at least if we're treating something personally or dealing something personally, you know, look at how you can be supported, how you would cope, et cetera. But um, yeah, it's, it's I, I, I have a better understanding now than I did, uh, you know, weeks or months ago about the importance of trust, as you said, mm -hmm. the importance of um, my offering a a complete message rather than a partial message so that it's, you know, not misunderstood. And also just understanding what, what is the, what's, what's being asked, you know, uh, what mm -hmm. you, when you come to me as a friend, you come to me as a client, uh, you come to me and ask me to be a guest speaker at your school. Uh, what, what are, what are people looking for? What do they want? Mm -hmm. Um, what's the question? And, uh, I've certainly, misunderstood the question at times and offered a response in a genuine way leaves people either scratching their heads or feeling offended because I, you know, I there was a real disconnect there. And as you said, I think with something as important and sensitive as race relations or resolving the racial injustice that exists in this country, we really do need to be better listeners. We really do need to mm -hmm. uh, um, be more, way more self-aware. We really do need to offer fulsome explanations. You know, the objection that I have sometimes voiced to students using the word townie to refer to mm -hmm. residents of the town is not meant to deflect or decenter or take a discussion about racism and turn it into a discussion about classism. And it is certainly not to uh, defend any people who do live in town who have mm -hmm. done overtly racist things. But if I share the backstory of other students who are residents of the town, but not students at this school, they're students at another school, and they'd like to work together to improve race relations. Mm -hmm. And by using the word townie, even if you didn't mean to direct it at them, you've alienated them and missed an opportunity to do something awesome, which would be to, you know, create a larger movement a bigger group of committed young people who are really personally invested yeah in social mm -hmm. justice um but you know and you could also say well like you know to any of the white people who were offended by the use of the word townie like you know get over your damn self let's don't let that be the thing that stops the conversation because it's truly, truly not comparable. Um, but, you know, that's hard when you're 14 or 15 and the only messages you're getting are these truncated, you know, like tweets or posts or, you know, which is why I say more fulsome explanations better listening, longer dialogues. I mean, that was a decision you and mm -hmm. I made right away. We weren't going to have a five minute show or 10 minute show. We we're going to have right. you know, what is typically an hour because we weren't interested in, uh, you know, sound sensational bites. headlines and sound bites. Exactly. Mm -hmm. so, but. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I agree. I, and you know, what's interesting, I think too, um, is a lot of times people get into in, in conversations I have, there are times when uh, it is a contest. It doesn't mean to be, but it gets into a contest about who is more victimized. Hmm. That's that's hmm. the game show these days. Um, so when you start talking about certain things, you say, well, I'm in this group. Um, so therefore, we have experienced this too, especially when you start bringing up things like racism or if what you're talking about is, um, you know, sexism, 
then you start talking about uh, what it's like to also be, you know, this mm-hmm. or if mm-hmm. you, you know, and so everybody wants to um, see how much more of a victim, uh, you know, they can be. And that's not to belittle uh, any of the experiences of anybody who has been victimized. It's just to say that sometimes when you're talking about this issue, you should kind of talk about this issue because uh, like for racism in this country, for me, a lot of things uh, that we've started talking about have been hijacked by other things. Mm -hmm. And then the conversation rarely gets back to the actual racism. Like when you start talking about, uh, we brought up the police brutality thing earlier. When you start talking about the police brutality and the protest then you start, uh, say, with the NFL, you start talking about patriotism and and uh, we are disrespecting the flag and, right. and this kind of thing. And and so now the narrative rarely gets back to maybe we should not be killing unarmed citizens of the country whose patriotism we're arguing right now. But the conversation doesn't get back to that. It gets hijacked by that. So to me, that's kind of the the danger of the towny conversation at that moment, which goes back to what you were talking about with regard to the timing of the thing mm-hmm. when you're trying to have it. It's a, it's a valuable conversation to have about best ways to get allies for your cause and what have you. But depending on how it's positioned and presented and the time it's positioned and presented, it can be a potential hijacking target. Yeah. You know, a yeah. topic, I should say, not target, but hijacking topic, where now we we do segue into classism never to make our way back to racism when racism is what brought us to the party in the first place, and we never really dealt with that. And, and I, I think part of the sensitivity, being a black man, part of the sensitivity for me is that I I have found in my experience that a lot of times that happens, particularly with white people that I talk with, because talking about race makes them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So we move to something that makes me comfortable too. And now, if I can talk about, and I'm not saying this is what you were doing, I'm just saying this is what, it's, if I can talk about classism, and I can start, dealing with my experience with classism, now we're on the same page and the racism is no longer as uncomfortable for me because we're yeah. both we're both now uh victims of this thing and, and I you know and so the the perceived responsibility that I would bear is is now minimized and so then I'm less less uncomfortable. And right. now we can talk. Well the problem with that is that we we have stopped dealing with the thing that made me uncomfortable before I got here. And when we leave here, I'm going to still be more uncomfortable than you because we haven't decided that right. we're going to, you know what I mean, deal with that that issue. Not to say we shouldn't deal with the classism too, but if what we we're initially talking about is racism, that's what we mean when we say lean into the uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Part of that is it is uncomfortable for you to be involved in that. It's not quite as it's kept comfortable for me to be in that right. conversation either. But if we're going to do something about it and talk about it, we need to stay in that uh in that in that space where we're talking about racism and we need to we need to figure out what it is that makes you so uncomfortable because therein lies the the path to fixing any of it. Yeah. I think for far too long it's been a thing where we've said, well we'll get back to it. Let's deal with this other thing first so we'll get back to it let's deal with this you know issue or let's call it this as opposed to this and you know whatever and it never gets dealt with and so then it it keeps building and keeps building until you know now now here we are and so i i honestly think that the reason that we're able to be in this uh, polarized political situation now is because we have not talked about these things for a long time, and I think this man has given people who felt like they couldn't say things before, didn't and they, now they have 
a voice or an emboldened yeah. thing to say that it's okay to because I can call it something else. I can yeah. call it nationalism. I can I can say that it's okay to kill black people as long as I call it patriotism. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's something wrong with saying that that's okay by calling it patriotism. You know what I mean? In a, in a country that's supposed to be a melting pot. That's right. just very, you know, there's something kind of, I don't know, about that. And, and, and there are questions then that are not being asked that should be asked if you're able to say that that's okay. You yeah. Know? And so, yeah. So and I, I think, you know, I don't know, but I think that that, that's probably, you know, part of the thing, that deflection and that deflection in order to make, make it more comfortable for, for, you know, that's just me. But what do you think? About no, that? I think it's, I mean, it's just you in the sense of that's your point. I also think it's not just you. It's a widely shared sentiment. And I think, uh, I think that p people who are part of uh, a traditionally, you know, underserved or marginalized minority see that immediately, and people who are part of the majority group don't see it. Um, mm -hmm. They don't see that, you know, if we make this conversation about something that I'm more comfortable, you know, talking about, then uh, at least we can. Uh, sort of have this charade of having a conversation. Uh, but as you said, well, we're not getting back to the thing that we were supposed to be talking about. Of course, the other thing that happens uh, once I, you know, make the conversation about something else is I can breathe a sigh of relief because a minute ago we were talking about all the bad stuff that white people do to black people. And although I personally don't do bad stuff to black people, like I'm pretty uncomfortable being part of the group of bad mm -hmm. actors that we're talking about right because if you said mm -hmm. like guys with salt and pepper hair who wear blue striped shirts would be like but not mm -hmm. you chris but just other guys right so it'd be like well yeah all right well, yeah let's go ahead and have that conversation you know right so mm -hmm. you know extricating ourselves from uh those feelings of discomfort as you said works at cross purposes with mm -hmm. the goal of resolving it and you know again i think one of the most important reasons to listen to one another is uh, <clears throat> I I don't want to just call somebody out for moving the conversation uh, away from, you know, what what we began. Uh, I actually want to do what you just did, which is follow up and say, you know, so I noticed that the conversation has moved a little bit from this to that. And I, I do get the link. Um, or intersectionality, but um, but I also want to point out that it's moved and ask you to bring it back. And, mm -hmm. you know, if my reply to that is, you know, thank you for noticing that. And, you know, the way that I can bring it back is by showing that my concern for this related issue is um, because it will get me close if we can resolve that it'll get me or get another group closer to the core issue so um you know again it what does that require trust that my intention is not to um move away forever and not resolve the core conversation or to um you know just uh run away from anything that i might have to take responsibility for uh mm -hmm. but instead uh, I, I, I really want to help. And, you know, this problem of racism has grown some tentacles and mm. here's one that I'd like to chop off or resolve or whatever. Um, and again, that those conversations do require time and energy and listening and, and I'll say it again, trust. And mm. I, I have such Absolutely. a greater appreciation for all of those things um, than I, you know, than I did before. Uh, the last thing I kind of like to talk about, I know our time is winding, is um, is just the language. Um, mm. Just a quick anecdote. My uh, son is in school and they're trying to be, uh, quote unquote, more racially sensitive at this point. And um, so the issue was brought up in one of his classes by one of his black classmates. 
And a lot of the white people uh, who were classmates then sent a bunch of messages to him and to this other black student. Mm -hmm. And all of the language was like they pulled it out of a box. You know, uh, I want to apologize for you uh, for contributing to this unsafe space uh, that you were in and not being an advocate for you. None of it was like, man, I'm sorry, uh, I shouldn't have done that. Or I'm sorry I said that that was messed up and insensitive of me. You know, it was all uh, like this language. If I say these words it will but it 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 sounds very insincere very canned you know and very canned is exactly, is a very very good way to put it and um i don't know i just want to know i guess i'm i'm trying to figure it out i'm i'm not saying it like you have the answer but i i i just want to know what's wrong with just being human you know what i mean like what what's yeah. wrong with with just being human and saying, yeah, I thought about that. That was messed up. I shouldn't have done that. Or that was messed yeah. up. That shouldn't have been done, even if I didn't do it. And, uh, you know, sorry you had to go through that. Let me know how I can help. Or I'll try not to do it. You know what I mean? But but yeah. some real, yeah. as opposed to um, political answers or whatever you know I, well I yeah and i, I think as a filmmaker discouraged. you can spot dialogue that sounds artificial mm -hmm. better than most people mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. maybe the sort of canned responses that were written on a computer and designed to capture in a pithy way the message maybe the step two is okay and that encapsulates the message in a grammatical sentence that nobody would say. So, mm -hmm. you know, we got to make a second column here. And in that second column goes, <laughs> right. you know, how do you actually say this or what would this actually sound like? And, and, and right. so, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have an easy answer for that, except I far prefer the, the sort of human speech to the machine language, you know, version of it. And I, you know, um, so yeah. that's my 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 uh, words for that one is just let's just be honest and be human. Yeah. Uh, we like to leave with uh, some uh, some ways to help whatever the situation is we brought up. So I, I want to say when we're talking about being understood. Um, I think one of the first things is to, um, in my opinion, and you'll tell, of course, what you think, but um, is to be human first um and like i'm always talking about you want to relate on a human level this is not uh you know i'm black but i'm human you're white but you're human this there's there is the you know some degree of commonality so uh relate on on that level um if you're bringing me the issue i want to keep um uh, the issue about you and what you're going through as opposed to trying to make it about me and make me more comfortable at the expense of you um and 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 then you know like when we sort of have those conversations we should be starting off again setting ground rules and building trust and saying i may potentially say some things inadvertently that can be misunderstood or misconstrued please understand that where i'm coming from is a pure heart and that i really want um you know, some clear dialogue, problem solving dialogue between the two of us and some understanding. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm after. That's what I'm going for. So um, if I say anything that offends, ask me for clarity and, you know, let's try and, and get it cleared up and not just uh, jump to a conclusion that therefore I meant this and I am therefore this person. Um, as opposed to, you know, because maybe we don't know each other as well. Mm -hmm. But if we do, then you say, hey, man, look, you know me. I'm going to say what I got to say. And if you don't understand it, ask me what it's about. And then, you know, so I think, you know, you you start reading the room and dealing with those those sorts of trust issues. And like I said, laying that groundwork. And when you do, um, you probably will find that a lot of those conversations are easier 
Um, yeah, that's my take. Doc, what do you I think? love it. And I would just add to any white person who is listening to this, if you have ever said to yourself, okay, that's it, I quit um, because I feel like I'm walking on eggshells, mm-hmm. uh, I would say to be very human about it, well, get over yourself. Uh, that's <laughs> not a reason to withdraw from this absolutely crucial for every human on the planet effort that we are trying to make. If you feel like you're walking on eggshells, then go ahead and do David, what you were suggesting and ask the question, like, um, what is it that you mean by that? Or can you tell me more about your experience or, uh, you know, you asked my opinion on this, uh, are you interested more in like A, B, or C? But some clarification mm-hmm. is really, I think, all that's needed to build trust and be better listeners. But don't let a misstep be the thing that dissuades you from being uh, a socially responsible person or somebody's good friend. Agree. Agree. And these are so necessary. And the more we build these individual relation- relationships, uh, the better we'll be collectively, I think. And so Amen. I appreciate your participation with me and uh, walking <laughs> this walk with me, Doc. Oh, feelings mutual. Uh, I can't yeah. wait for the next episode. Absolutely. You and me both, my friend. All right. Well, uh, that's it for this week. And um, we will be back uh, next week with uh, another great guest, hopefully, and, um, and some more great conversation. Looking forward. Thank you for listening to I'm Black, You're White, Now What? You can find more episodes on the podcast channel Teaching What It Takes, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. To learn more about the work I do, visit www.preparingthepath.com. And to learn more about the work I do, visit drchristhurber.com.